0: Welcome back to The Axe in Politics. This is episode 11 and I'm Lucas. And I'm Ruri. Unfortunately Kayla can't be with us today. She's over in New York. Actually just saw Hamilton so we're all very jealous here. But
1: nonetheless we'll trudge on without her. She'll be on the end of our show today with an interview that she recorded earlier this week with current student Joshua Sewell who has an initiative having to do with funding for Uh, low-income students.
0: Yeah, um... So it should be a great interview. Make sure to stick around for that. But in the meantime, we'll provide you with some quick commentary on what we think were the big stories out of this week.
1: So at the Stanford Political Journal, we wrote an article a couple weeks ago about Robert Reich uh, having the rhetoric trying to balance revolution and unity, and that we thought that that didn't exactly make sense because the supporters aren't going to be able to unite around Hillary Clinton when the revolution that they're behind is so much anti-Clinton. And we found this, or Robert Reich himself found this to be true earlier this week when he posted on Facebook, where he's got millions of Facebook followers, about how many of his followers refuse to support Hillary and their reasoning is wrong, to which they responded, no, uh, Uh, are I mean, just to read some of this, right? So he says, some of you say there's no real
0: difference between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. The problem with this logic is it's wrong. Regardless of what you may think of Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump is a true menace to the nation and to the world. He's a narcissistic, xenophobic, hate-monger who, if elected, will legitimize bigotry, appoint Supreme Court justices with terrible values, and have his finger on the nuclear bomb. Need I say more? Which brings us to the third argument. And then
1: then in his last argument, he said, Finally, some of you say that even if Hillary is better than Trump, you're tired of choosing the, quote, lesser of two evils, and you're going to go and you're going to vote your conscience by either writing Bernie's name in or voting for the Green Party candidate, or not voting at all. I can't criticize you for voting your conscience, of course, but your conscience should know that a decision not to vote for Hillary is a de facto decision to help Trump. And the top comment on this, which the most support from his uh, 5,874 likes. <laughs> says, Sorry, but while I have been an avid supporter of U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders, it is for reasons that cause me to be unable to support HRC, meaning Hillary Rodham Clinton, under any circumstances. She represents the problem rather than the solution.
0: Which is, you know, it's quite the interesting comment because that seems to suggest that, you know, they're really supporting Bernie because he's an outsider, A, despite the fact that he's been a senator for who knows how long, and B, um this is, like, less really policy-oriented and more just, like, talking about, like, these... Bernie and Hillary as, like, individuals in the greater, like, political, yeah like, world of the American politics. Because, like, yes, Bernie's significantly more left than Hillary, but let's be real, like, their policies... Hillary's policies are much closer to Bernie's policies than some of Trump's policies are.
1: Yes, by far. And I think uh, I think this brings into the larger question of is Sanders... Contributing to this uh, backlash against Hillary is he egging on his fans mm-hmm. to to be anti-Hillary.
0: Yeah, and I think my response to that is he's not explicitly egging them on, but he's also not explicitly telling them to not support Trump. Yeah. He 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 hasn't he hasn't really addressed this issue as the candidate in question here, and so it seems to implicitly suggest at least that uh, that you know maybe he's he's fine with whatever his supporters do, and he.
1: Yes, and just this week, uh, speculation really went all around about a debate. Yeah.
0: Um. So in very interesting turn of events, basically Donald Trump was on the Kimmel, Jimmy Kimmel, Kimmel. Kimmel. Yeah, Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, Tuesday night, and Jimmy Kimmel jokingly asked him, "Hey, like, if, like, would you debate Bernie Sanders?" And Trump said, "Yeah, I'd debate him." And then Bernie Sanders was on Kimmel the next night, and Kimmel asked him, "Hey, last night Donald Trump said he'd debate you. Do you want to debate Trump?" And Bernie goes, "Yeah." Sure, and then... And then he tweeted about it. And then he tweeted about it, and basically there's been this whole back and forth, and now it seems as if before the California primary on June 7th, we're going to have a debate between Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. And, you know, in my experience, or at least from what I know of American history, we've never had a primary debate between a Democratic presidential candidate and a Republican presidential candidate. So um, this should be very interesting. Uh,
1: Kevin Drum of Mother Jones uh, actually wrote... Uh, pretty scathing uh, backlash against Bernie for this saying that he's uh, he's doing two things he 's both helping Trump and hurting hillary and why is he so excited to do this it's it's', uh, it's, it's baffling. Really, yeah
0: it's really bizarre and like i mean in my personal opinion, I think trump's going to dominate this debate um he like despite his policies has a, has a way with rhetoric that Bernie does not and um will push. I think the the debate into a direction of that's like very anti Hillary. It's like oh, we're both outsiders in this. Like we don't like the establishment. Even
1: even on Thursday, when the speculation is going back and forth, uh, Donald Trump said he doesn't see the point in doing a debate. He'll do it though. But the system is rigged against Bernie, and yeah. he said that and there he. There you go. Ma-
0: and, and so if you if he if you if Trump gets the debate moving in that direction, he can get maybe him and Bernie agreeing on some points to okay. which, point, at which point you have sort of two Hillary's main opponents kind of teaming up against her, yep. which is not ideal for
1: some. No. And uh, for one person who really doesn't like to see all of this momentum behind Trump coming in the last couple of weeks is Elizabeth Warren. And she's really gone on the offensive, which we've seen. You can hear earlier this week she spoke out against him in really aggressive terms. Here's a clip.
2: A small, insecure money grubber who doesn't care who gets hurt so long as he makes a profit off it. What, what kind of a man does that? A man who will never be president of the United States. Then I say we throw Donald Trump down the drain. Let's face it, Donald Trump is about exactly one thing, Donald Trump. It is time for some accountability because these statements disqualify Donald Trump to ever be president of the United States.
0: Yeah, so um, as you can tell, Warren is very much fighting fire with fire here. This is very aggressive language. And, um,
1: and it translated to Twitter as well. Donald Trump retaliated by calling her Pocahontas, accusing yeah. her of pretending to be Native right, American. Yeah. Um,
0: um, you know, I I have a little bit of qualms with this. I'm reluctant that people sort of stoop down to Trump's level in terms of like this deterioration of any sort of sense of political decency. But then again, if that's what it takes, I don't... Yeah,
1: I think that's... It might be what it takes to defeat Trump. Um, I think... Yeah, yeah I, I, I mean, th- if anything, think it's interesting
0: just how much this man has really transformed the way people are campaigning, the way politicians are speaking out in the media. Um, yeah. He's done something quite quite
1: astonishing. And I think uh, that's about all for this week in campus... Or yeah, not in, in national, national news. news yeah. Let's move to campus news next. Um, earlier this week, they, there was a panel on race and the path to justice um, with Charlene Carruthers, DeRay McKesson, and ben, Chel- ben Jealous, and that panel discussed a variety of issues about the criminal justice system, yeah. about race, yeah. in Interesting event,
0: but um, more notably, there was, a, there was a quite awkward moment, yeah. I guess, towards the Cringe Cringeworthy. the I, Cringeworthy, I guess you yeah. could
1: say near the end of the event... Uh, when asked about transphobia in the Black Lives Matter movement and in society more generally uh, one of the panelists, Ben Jealous, former president of the NAACP um, he responded by telling an anecdote in which he continually misgendered a a friend of his his, and he was called out for doing that he didn't really seem too apologetic and uh, I am sure you'll hear about he'll hear more about this in the in the coming days because I think it is it is pretty bad to it's really bad uh to misgender someone especially when transgender people already feel like their lives are and their identities uh, are invalidated mm-hmm. in society and so that was notable um yeah and
0: finally um just Keep your eyes peeled. We have a recently released article, the top ten politicos on Stanford's campus.
1: Yeah, uh, and it's a variety of people from both like activist organizations to journalistic organizations to uh,
0: you know public service oriented organizations. Um, it's the people that the campus and we at the Stanford Political Journal feel had the most influence on political discourse and going ons this year at Stanford. Yep, yep. Um, students, all students, so.
1: And it's sort of an annual tradition. I hope you enjoy it.
0: Give it a read. And now here's Kayla with Josh.
1: Yeah, and very interesting issue that they'll be discussing. Uh, Stay tuned for the rest of the episode.
3: Hi, so um, I am here with Josh today to talk a little bit about a recent bill that's been going through the Senate. Um, The bill is supposed to help people of low financial status gain access to clubs around campus with dues. So thank you so much for joining me today, Josh. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Awesome, awesome. So I want to start out and just get a little bit of a better sense of the bill. So does it have a name, first of all?
4: Yeah, so our efforts probably are called uh, the Full House Initiative, um, but the bill, uh, just for sort of procedural reasons, is called something a lot more boring.
3: <laughs> Which is what?
4: Um, I think the 18th Undergraduate Senate's motion to support low-income students in their efforts to join... Uh, groups with uh, dues in collaboration with the DGEN office or something like
3: that. Wow, that is a mouthful. Not as catchy. That's impressive, though, but you know the whole thing. (laughs) I'm not (laughs) going to lie. That was was wow. Yeah, so can you tell me a little bit more about the bill, especially in its original form? I know that it's gone through some changes over the past couple weeks, but what was the kind of initial form of the bill?
4: Sure, sure, sure. Um, So um, before the um, recent amendments, uh, what we were looking at, Um, was Senate appropriating $30,000 to uh, the executive. And the executive, well, that'll come into play a little bit later. But basically, um, in the meantime, um, there would be a working group established. um, And the working group would sort of have representatives um, of the administration, um, representatives of the four different Greek councils, um, and uh, representatives of the low-income community um, and some others. Um, and so this working group, um, their mission would be to come up with the best plan um, to spend $30,000 uh, appropriated by Senate next year on a one-year pilot to help low-income students join student groups with dues. Um, and so their second mission um, would be to sort of identify long-term solutions for these student groups with dues um, to, keep, to make sure that the inclusion is uh, permanent. Um, beyond the one-year pilot, mm-hmm. um, so uh, and that and so um, the the their plan for next year for the pilot um, would sort of be presented to the executive in the fall, and then the executive would sort of say yay or nay, um, and um, then that money would get transferred to the DGen office, the Diversity and First Generation office, um, to uh, to administer.
3: Right, right. So, I guess I'm wondering, I've heard the bill referred to as like a couple of different things, but one thing I've heard repeatedly is the Greek life bill or the Greek funding bill or some, you know, things like that. Um, And so, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that and and where the bill started. Where did this idea come from?
4: Yeah, no, that's a great question. So, um, my focus has always sort of been on um, Greek life and um, increasing access to Greek life. Um, including other student groups with dues, I think is a is an awesome gesture, but that's just uh, that's never been my focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so where that came from is I was thinking about rushing um, last spring, uh, my freshman spring, and I just opted not to because I was worried about finances. Um, and, um, I thought at the time, like other people must be going through this. Um, and I quickly found out that, uh, in fact, a bunch of other people were, were going through the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just think that there's, you know, there's too much money at Stanford for anyone to not be able to do something for financial reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, so I joined, um, the, the ASSU executive, um, with John and Brandon. Um, to try and work on this uh, throughout the year and um, ultimately decided that um, a bill through Senate would probably be the best way to go. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so I'm also wondering, when did the decision to sort of bring in the other groups come into play? When when did that happen for you?
4: Um, wh- which other groups do you mean?
3: Um, other student groups besides Greek life. Oh, sure.
4: Yeah. So... Um, One of the big issues that I think um, kept coming up with um, Senate was exclusivity. Mm -hmm. And if you're funding people to just join Greek life, um, is that really, is that sort of equitable? Um, They would be using what's called the Programming Fund, um, which is sort of supported by all students. Um, So they're sort of... uh, the way they operate that is, they prefer to fund opportunities that are open to all students, and there's, some, there's a, that's definitely a wavy policy, um, and it's not, um, and it's sort of a, it's more of a norm. Um, but uh, they they basically indicated to me that um, this would be a lot more like palatable um, mm-hmm. if it was something that was open to um, all student groups rather than just um, student groups that are exclusive.
3: Interesting. So zooming out from that a little bit. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your interactions with Senate? I know it's been a long process, <laughs> a lot of Senate meetings. Yeah. Um, and I guess I'm wondering, um, you know, how how that sort of went for you, that, that whole narrative, and, and why it was maybe so different from, from other people who tried to do things like this in the past, or, yeah. you know, what was, what was different there?
4: Yeah, um, I mean, I think one of the issues that we kept running into was that this hasn't been tried in the past. It's definitely a new, um, it's a new thing. And that sometimes involves, sort of breaks from precedent. Um, And so there were some issues about when, like when exactly Senate should fund it, like now or later, and like um, the exclusivity again. um, And uh, I just kept trying to, I think, make the point um, that um, this is something that, Is new, but it's worth taking a chance on. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's obviously not something that everyone can agree on. And so um, I think part of what took so long, we we had five Senate sessions where we were trying to push this through and an appropriations meeting. Um, And so um, what took so long, I think, was trying to convince um, Senate that um, this was a, a project that was sort of worth taking a chance on, worth being innovative for, worth sort of compromising on, um, and I'm, uh, I'm hopeful that, uh, we did that.
3: Mm-hmm. So, so walk me through the sessions a little bit. You said you had five Senate meeting sessions, yeah. which means yeah. you went to five Senate meetings. Yeah, Correct. yeah. Um, so what sort of happened, and, and why did it take five? You know?
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, what was definitely a bummer was that, and this is no one's fault, but, um, we, uh, we, by the time we were sort of ready to present a bill to the to Senate, we were in the last weeks of the old Senate before the election. So we were kind of in the last two weeks, uh, we presented something in the, uh, we had conversation, we had discussion, I think the, the first of their last two weeks and then the second of their last two weeks, they decided to table the bill. So essentially just postponing it into the next Senate. Um, so that was a little bit frustrating. Um, but then we had to start all over again with this new Senate, and then that took, you know, two, three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's kind of why it ended up <laughs> taking so long.
3: Right, right. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that transition from the old Senate to the new Senate. Do you think that if that transition hadn't happened, and let's yeah. say the old Senate had been kept, um, yeah. there would have been a different outcome?
4: Uh, that's entirely possible. Um, I think what's really cool about the new Senate um, is that um, we have senators, and this is not to say that the old Senate didn't, but we, have, we just have so many senators who are really dedicated to um, low-income uplift on this campus, supporting communities of color on this campus, um, that I think there was just like a lot of goodwill on this issue and that um, really manifested itself in a bunch of ways. Um, so many people wanted to see something pass, um, and so I was really thankful for that, and I feel like that, um, That goodwill was even stronger in the Senate than it was um, in the old Senate. Although, you know, that's hard to measure, but Mm -hmm. that's what I felt like,
3: yeah. Definitely. Well, let's talk a little bit more about this this intense pushback you got from the Senate a little bit. I'm really curious, um, so I know that one reason you cited is sort of that um, this bill and the way it was originally framed would be a little bit different from some of the things they'd already done. Um, just because of how they choose to do funding. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? And can you also talk about just like why you feel like, um, some of the senators may have been so passionately against it?
4: Yeah. Um, so I think, um, I think some senators, uh, and I disagree with them with, uh, on this. Um, but some senators are, are really, um, are really committed to upholding funding norms or funding guidelines as they see them. Um, and so, you know, again, like there are some questions about like, oh, well we wouldn't usually do this sort of thing and, uh, shouldn't it be X and Y? Um, and, uh, yeah, we were, we were trying to, you know, um, I think people were trying to square a circle, um, and make sense of, um, what is a pilot program with a lot of potential in terms of just funding a student group um but I just think you know we have to let go of these funding guide uh, these sort of funding guidelines if they're not serving students um and a situation in which we can fund an all-campus um you know but not we can fund a, a Greek chapter when they're trying to do an all-campus but we can't you know, trust the DGEN office to help low-income students in Greek life, um, you know, join that same chapter. You know, it's just like, wh- where is our money going? You know, <laughs> um, It's just a little bit frustrating sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, so we were just really trying to, um, we were really trying to break away from the idea that um, this is just another, this is just another appropriation. This is something that could achieve, in my opinion, um, real low-income uplift on this campus, would go a long way supporting communities of color, um, could fundamentally change uh, Greek life on this campus. Um, And so getting hung up on, you know, whether this is from the programming fund or the discretionary fund, um, I think kind of uh, misses the point
3: and and that makes sense. I'm also wondering. Um, I think a couple arguments from the senators may have also been, you know, if we change this or we allow this exception, um, you know, that could persist, and all of a sudden their funding rules are nothing. You know, yeah. um, what what do you kind of say to that criticism that this is like a slippery slope, basically?
4: Yeah, that's really fair. Um, I think what we tried to what we tried to explain is why this is such an exception. Um, In my view, you could have one set of funding principles for something like this, which is a pilot, which is well uh, researched and well planned. Um, And you could have another set of guidelines for student groups that are asking for event food. Like, Mm -hmm. I I just don't think that the two, I think we could absolutely separate the two. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, (laughs) you know, not everyone's (laughs) thought that way. Um, And I can understand, I can definitely understand from an appropriations perspective why that might be the case, but um, again, in in my opinion, like, uh, I think it would be worth it um, to sort of separate, um, you know, everyday student group requests from um, this sort of thing.
3: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me what actually has happened to the bill. I know it's had to evolve yeah. <laughs> um, and I'd love to hear about, you know, these changes that you've made sure. um, and, and what it felt like for you to make those changes.
4: Sure. So basically what we said, um, is that, uh, or what Senate said, um, is that they didn't want to fund the working group upfront. And so this is an important issue. Um, We wanted to fund the working group up front so that they could, A, um, get a sense of um, how much money they'd have to work with, and B, um, so they didn't have to go back to the Senate in the fall and present a plan that had to be popular. Um, We now have a situation in which um, Senate will, um, Senate has committed or has sort of codified a willingness, um, to fund it, uh, to fund whatever this working group comes up with in the fall. Um, but they'll have to take, um, another vote to sort of, uh, verify that. Um, and so again, I'm frustrated because, um, you know, this working group is going to have to come up with a solution that eight senators like, mm-hmm. um, rather than, you know, maybe the best, um, solution from a technocratic perspective. Um, and I, I worry that that will lower the quality, um, of their work. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, that was sort of the major amendment, um, and it was a a definite point of contention, but, um, at the end of the day, I think we'd rather just form this working group and get Senate in on it than, you know, fight these battles forever.
3: Mm -hmm. And you started to mention a little bit of, like, the people who are going to be on the working group. Can you just go into... The specific purpose of the working group and what you really envision for that, and, and you know how it looks to you in your mind.
4: Sure, sure. So um, we have uh, two senators um, on the uh, on the working group right now. So that's uh, Mylan and Khalid, mm-hmm. um, and they're both great. They're awesome. I'm just like so excited to see what they come up with. Um, but uh, we'll also have um, representatives from the administrations. So that'll probably be from uh, the Row Office. Um, from the uh, first-generation and of diversity office, DGEN, um, from student activities, um, which is Nancy Howe. Um, and so we're, we're still sort of convening this working group, but um, we'll have all these names by June 1st.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, on the student side, um, we, uh, we're reaching out right now to the four major Greek councils, um, And uh, we're, uh, I mean, I'm in contact with uh, the First Generation Low Income Partnership, uh, FLIP, um, working on who uh, they'd like to see on the working group. Um, So kind of bringing all these people together. um, We're hoping that we can come up with a really awesome pilot um, that uh, kind of uh, brings aid to low-income students um, on this campus who would otherwise be prohibited from, um, enjoying some of the experiences that, uh, I think are really worthwhile.
3: Mm-hmm. So, so tell me why this working group is necessary, you know? No. Why can't you just sit down and, and make the framework that the ASSC center maybe wants?
4: Sure, So, it turns out there's a lot of detail, um, and, uh, I don't think any one person brings just enough expertise, um to sort of uh put together a framework that would really work for everyone Mm -hmm. um for example um the Multicultural Greek Council um and the Inter-Sorority Council you know their finances work very differently Mm -hmm. um and so trying to come up with sort of one framework of what is the best way to help students join these organizations there wouldn't be there's there's not entirely much common ground um and so the hope with this working group is that we can come up with something that's really complex really nuanced that one person might not be able to, um, and that's the that's the plan that'll be sort of worked out over the summer and presented to the Senate in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, my fear is that um, you know Senate's going to see something. They're going to be like, "Well, why are you you know spending you know five percent of of uh, the the the, the uh, uh, money um, on you know snowboarding club, and why are you not?" doing 2% more to, um, you know, multicultural free council or something in that vein, you mm-hmm. know, um, I am a little bit concerned that even with all this expertise and all this detail, there's just no way that we can make everybody happy just mm-hmm. because, you know, scarcity. Um, and so, uh, that is my concern, but I'm confident that this working group will come up with, um, a, a, a strong solution.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that, that, you know, what was the plan before the, the Senate was the one approving this in the fall? Who, who was the overseer in the original form of the bill?
4: Yeah, um, so we had, yeah, exactly. We had the um, executive um, as the overseer. It's kind of the final determination. Well, that was actually, well, I should give credit where credit is due. That's something the Senate kind of put into the bill. Um, but I thought that was a really smart solution. So basically the executive would take a final look at this plan in the fall and then say, okay, great or not great. Um, and I just, I would have preferred that solution because I think these, uh, Jackson and Amanda, um, are really invested in this program and really invested in fairness as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and we don't need eight people to agree. We just need two people. We (laughs) just need two people to sort of say, okay, this makes sense. And I think that kind of, I think that would have produced a, a better result. Um, but I understand that Senate, um, felt different.
3: Mm -hmm. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your partnership, just going off of exec, um, your partnership with the old exec, um, John Lancaster Finley and Brandon Hill. Um, So can you tell me a little bit about that, how that got started, and and what that's evolved into? Yeah,
4: so um, I worked on JLF and Brandon Hill's campaign um, back in the spring of last year, because I thought they were awesome, still think they're awesome. (laughs) Um, And I I knew they were going to do an awesome job for the campus. Um, And so I just felt really strongly, and so I started working on their campaign, Um, And then sort of at the same time, again, um, I was thinking about rushing and decided not to for financial reasons. Um, So when they got elected, we sort of had a a conversation and I was like, this is an issue that needs to be addressed. Um, And they sort of uh, had an open role um, that that could include that and some other things. Um, so that's how I joined, uh, exec and it's, you know, it's been really cool. Um, there's a, there's so much work on this campus that goes on, um, behind the scenes, um, Uh that, you know, most people wouldn't even know about and, uh, they don't, you know, they're, (laughs) they're, anyone who knows them knows they're outspoken, but they don't really trumpet their own accomplishments. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they really deserve, um, a lot of credit for that um and yeah exec's been a great experience and i i would encourage anyone listening um to to kind of reach out to jackson and amanda um and see if there's a role for you um because it can be really rewarding and uh they can always use manpower mm-hmm.
3: um so so going back to the senate a little bit um i'm, I'm wondering two things and the first thing is sort of so you've done all this work, you know you took all this time. Um, you finally decided that you know it's okay if the well it will be acceptable, I guess um, if the Senate ends up having the the vote on it. Um, what happens you know what's what's the reaction if the Senate votes it down you know where Where do you see yourself going? I mean what
4: yeah, what's the
3: reaction there?
4: That's a great question. Um, I think right now we are super focused on the fall vote because that's really. The, the access around, um, all of, uh, around which all of this opportunity spins. It's just so important. Um, we're pretty, we're pretty positive that, um, a fall vote will be, uh, affirmative. I think we definitely have, uh, I think we definitely have enough like goodwill on the, on the Senate, um, that if a plan is good, um, it'll pass. Um, but, um, we, there is that possibility, right, that it doesn't pass. And what happens? Um, <laughs> uh, I guess I'm not 100% sure. Um, it's 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 not... Um, I guess we, we go back to the status quo, and that's something that I've always tried to fight really hard against because the financial aid options available to students on this campus for Greek life and uh, groups with dues um, are patchwork. Um, they are unreliable, um, and they scare... A lot of people out of participating um and that's just unacceptable so um i will continue to fight for this um even if it fails um but right now we're focused on the fall vote and making sure it doesn't come to that
3: right (laughs) and sort of on that same vein um are there any senators you feel like um well first you haven't seen eye to eye with in this process um and also you think could could try and prevent it in the fall yeah
4: yeah um, there, yeah, there are definitely some things I haven't seen that to eye with on this process. Um, I mean, some people I want to sort of name, um, are Matt Cohen, Gabe Rose, and then Justice Tension. And I think, um, these are people who have disagreed with me, but have always done so for, you know, the most upstanding reasons, even if I disagree with them, you know, um, they've, they've always been candid and, and I think they're just really committed to making sure that Senate is consistent and we do this in the best way. So we sometimes (laughs) disagree on what the best way is, right? Um, but that's, I mean, I think that's natural. I think, um, I, I think that's even healthy. So, uh, I really appreciate them for sort of, uh, helping to, to make our efforts, uh, stronger, um, especially Gabe, um, and, uh, you know, I look forward to working with them in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as, <laughs> as far as people who might hold it up in the fall, um, I have to be honest, Hattie Gwande has sort of, uh, I think really, uh, taken everyone, me especially by surprise. Um, she, she, uh, opposed this bill on sort of, um, every form it's come in, which is, you know, which is, which would, which would be fine. Um, but when it came to the final version of the bill, um, before amendments, um, we sort of uh, sat down, uh, and we ironed this out, um, and she said that she was on board and she said she would help it behind the scenes, and she said, uh, she was kind of giving me like political tips even, she was like, uh, you don't need this provision, and like, uh, I would co-sponsor it, but like, that wouldn't help you, and all sorts of stuff, so I was like, okay, great, she's on board, and she was one of the last holdouts, so I was like, great, um, and- I'm super psyched for this. So then we get to the we get to the Senate vote, um, and uh, she's being kind of quiet. And I'm just I was just like kind of uneasy. I was like something's wrong here. And then she starts speaking out against it. She starts speaking out against this bill that we sort of agreed on like not two weeks prior. Um, and she like over the course of the time we were at Senate, she kind of is its most like vocal detractor, um, seemingly with no new information about the bill and certainly like definitely no heads up to me. I was just like, I was just so frustrated, you know? Um, I was just so frustrated by that. I really feel like she took advantage, um, of my trust. Uh, and in instances like this, you know, where so much is on the line, I just feel like we have to call out dishonesty where we see it. Um, and You know, there was some suggestion that her motives were personal. I don't, I I don't know. I don't super want to get into that. Um, But whatever her motives were, like, like her actions were destructive. Like, we could have worked together, um, and we ended up working against each other at the expense of, I think, low-income students on this campus. Um, But I don't want to paint everybody with the same brush. I don't want anyone to, like, take this and think that, like, become more cynical about Senate. There are at least 14 out of 15 senators um, elected right now who have acted with, like, kind of candor and integrity throughout this process. Um, and uh, I'm sure that they'll form the majority in the fall. I just don't know if she'll be part of it.
3: So I want to, that that was a lot, and I and I thank you for that. And I want to take it back a little bit yeah. and ask you about this system in general that you feel like you had to go through and, and maybe the, the um, political aspects of the system and, yeah. and w- not only how you feel about it, but um, how you feel about other students going through it in the future. And yeah. maybe if you could change something about that, the process, that you went through, <laughs> what would that be? You know, uh, the, yeah. give, give tips, give changes. What, yeah. what you know? What do you think about it?
4: Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, so I guess there were a few frustrations Um, I think the system really doesn't work unless you have, um, a big constituency of people kind of pushing for the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and what we did this year is we were kind of working at, like, we were kind of talking like, like leadership to leadership between organizations and there was never sort of like a grassroots effort. And I think that was a mistake on our part. That being said, I think it's sometimes good that, um, these things can't get passed unless you have, um sort of a, a grassroots movement to, to help pass them. Um, I think, I mean, that's how democracy, you know, is supposed to work or whatever, you know? <laughs> Um, at the same time, like, uh, I guess I am a little bit frustrated. Um, I feel like there's, I feel like, and maybe this is something you've experienced. I know you've been to some of these Senate meetings too. Um, people really don't know what goes on in these Senate meetings. Um, and there's, there's a lot of sort of deflection and uh, a lot of in- inertia on issues and discussion that sometimes you wonder, is, is this really serving anyone? Um, so I guess like, I, 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 maybe I'm not the perfect person to, to prescribe solutions, but I feel like there, there does have to be sort of change and there does have to be more connection between people and the Senate, which is distributing you know, so much money and so much influence, you know, there has to be more connection than just a daily article every Wednesday. They do a great job, but, um, you know, that's, that's just not enough.
3: Mm -hmm. And I did want to ask you a little bit about number one, the daily article and number two, like you were saying, the the student involvement. And, um, I guess I'm sort of wondering in your opinion, is that lack of communication, sort of on the senators who, who um, mm-hmm. you know maybe aren't doing enough to make sure mm-hmm. that the, the population that they're serving yeah. is is aware of what they're doing? Yeah. Or is it more on, you know, these campus publications that, that maybe only decide to report when something gets crazy, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. And I know that that's happened a couple times with, with especially like some of the more controversial publications like yeah. The Review and The Fountain Hopper. Yeah,
4: sure. So
3: if you could kind of pinpoint where that's getting lost, what would you say?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's, I think it's at multiple points. So I think ASSU has always struggled with communications. Like, we can't even get our website together. Like, if people want to find out information, it's hard. Um, and we have guidelines on our website that are outdated, and it's just not accessible to people. Um, that's been a definite frustration. Um, at the same time, we don't do enough personal outreach. We're not, you know, we should be... We should be a holding town halls. We should be going to dorms. We should be, like, there's so many, there's so many things that we could and should be doing. Um, I think the daily does a great job. Um, I would love to see them expand their ASSU sort of student government um, news section because I think there's a lot that's not being talked about, um, a lot of ideas that you know take a while to to make the front page that should make the front page you know i just think that there's opportunity for everyone to expand their communications efforts um and i I think it's sort of a a self-fulfilling cycle too because um because people don't hear about assu and then they think that it doesn't matter it doesn't do anything um and so they start sort of um they start pulling away from ASSU, and they they don't vote, and they think it, it, you know, what does it matter? They don't show up to Senate meetings, Um, and then sort of this this cycle continues, and, and, you know, senators and elected officials um, don't bother because people don't want to hear about it, and, you know, I mean, you can see how that just... That's where we are right now. We're at the bottom of the spiral, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's just really unfortunate. And we need to we need to bring together students and Senate because that's how it's supposed to operate. And communications um, on Senate's end and uh, perhaps you know the daily's end um, needs work.
3: Right, right. And and my last question to sort of you know wrap up um, is what would you suggest to, um, students do? Um, you know, in if they support this bill, if they don't support this yeah. bill, if they um, want to understand more about senate yeah. or this, how, what's going on in the student government, um, you know, what's what's the action plan? If you could yeah. give one for students,
4: yeah, sure. So um, eat, get on the ASSU Senate mailing list. That is where, <laughs> that's where all the secrets are kept. Um, and so uh, I'm not an expert on mailing lists, but you can email um, the chair Shanta. Um, and she'll set you up. Um, but more than that, of course, it's more than you know, getting the emails. That's just the first step. Um, you, whether you support this bill, oppose it, have thoughts, feedback, um, or otherwise, you should email the working group. Um, again, like that'll sort of be more solidified on June 1st, but you can email Mylan or it They're both senators. Um, for feedback, you should email your senator um, urging them to uh, vote yay, um, in the fall. Um, you should show up to Senate meetings. Um, senators really respond to people showing up. It's, it's you know, sort of uncanny. Um, and you should voice your opinion. There's open forum every week. There's open forum every week. And you can talk about pretty much whatever. Um, and senators want to help. Um, so you should definitely get out there and um, Every problem you see on this campus is within our power to change, I assure you. Um, And so I really would urge you if you have any inclination, if you see an issue on this campus that you're passionate about, you're like, wow, that's messed up. Like, I promise, like, you can, however cheesy it is, like, you can make a difference. Um, And so please, like, show up, show out, email, you know, all that
3: good stuff. Yes. Wow, thank you so much. Thank that you. That was excellent advice. I'm going to go get on the mailing great. list. Great. I mean, that seems like a great first step. <laughs> um, yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for this having This is really informational, yeah. uh, and we really enjoyed talking with you. All
4: right, great. Thank you so much.
0: Great. Well, thanks again, and see you next week for our final episode of the year.